Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for same race multi-tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Avoid rising energy prices and get a smarter home energy solution with B-Solar. Visit B.Solar and GLG Greenlife Group. Leaders in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com. The First Serve, your home of tennis. Good evening, everybody. Welcome along to a big edition of The First Serve. We are back every uh, Monday night post, of course, another big uh, Roland Garros on the red clay. Very nice to have your company uh, tonight on this uh, Monday, the 6th of June. Your calls, as always, Harry, can't hear you, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Your text tonight on 0433981116. All thanks to Tennis Direct, Australia's favourite online tennis store. Fast delivery, great prices, free delivery, if you don't mind, on orders over $150. So you can go to their website, shop while you listen tonight, tennisdirect.com.au. You'll get that nice little 10% discount store-wide using the promo code... First serve, uh, one zero. He's on cue. Harry is on fire. He's already ringing. I haven't finished the intro, Harry. Hang on a second. On the B-Solar menu tonight, our wrap of Roland Garros. We toast some Aussie success. We'll tap into the performance mindset and we'll open the uh, UTR discussion. And a mailbag that is quite full, let me tell you, of UTR correspondence. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Before we get to Harry... Let's reflect on a huge fortnight at Roland Garros for Rafael Nadal and Iga Sviantec. And for me, have this trophy uh, next to me again uh, means everything. No, so uh, yeah, I've been uh, emotional uh, <laughs> victories without a doubt, unexpected in some way. A great two weeks, uh, honestly. No, uh, I played since the beginning, improving every day and uh, finishing playing a good final. No, so yeah, super happy and can't thank enough everybody for the support since the since the first day that I I get here. No, so very emotional. The the mindset is very clear. No, I gonna keep working and uh, to try to find uh, a solution and an improvement for what's happening in the foot. I was able to play during these two weeks within extreme conditions. No, I, I have been playing with an injections on the nerves to sleep the foot. Of course, Roland Garros is Roland Garros. Everybody knows how much means to me this tournament, so I want it to keep trying and to give myself a chance here. We achieved our dreams. Me, Roger Novak, we achieved things that uh, probably we never expected. You know, it's not about a goal about winning more titles. It's about a goal to give myself a chance to keep doing what I like to do. Honestly, I try to treat it as any other match, which is pretty hard and kind of not possible because there are always going to be like bigger amount of stress. And I don't know, we have a feeling that the tournament is coming to an end and this is the last match. So it would be nice to just, you know, finish it properly. I guess I'm kind of accepting that a little bit more and just I try to lean on the strengths and the things that I have better maybe. Um, 
Um, and I'm also aware that my opponents are also going to be stressed, so I try to not panic and just be less stressed than they are. <laughs> in 2020, the main thing that I felt was confusion, because <laughs> I've never really believed 100% that I can actually win a Grand Slam, and this time it was, you know, pure work. Everything that was going on, I, I'm also like more aware of how it is to, to win a Grand Slam and what it takes, and how every puzzle has to you know, come together and, and basically every aspect of the game has to work and with that awareness I was even more happy and even more proud of myself. In 2020 I just felt that I'm lucky, you know, and this time I felt like I really did the work. She did the work indeed, Igesh Fiontek, what a star, 35 wins in a row. She is the clear world number one by some margin and Rafael Nadal, quite extraordinary to win 14 times at the same event, uh, Rafa, how much longer can he keep going? It is the burning question. one 736 736 Very happy to hear your Roland Garros reflections uh, tonight. We'll start with Harry in uh, Belmore. H, uh, great to have you back on the show. G'day, Brett. Uh, Raphael, he was ruthless. Oh, he was so good, but now he's having injections in his legs, isn't he? Yes, well, he's. they're going to try and find out what is going on with this foot and whether it's going to actually uh, get any better. I mean, he's going to leave no stone unturned, no doubt. I mean, obviously he's had the injections for the uh, in the, the nerve region of the foot to allow him to play, which is quite extraordinary. Uh, seven matches in two weeks. He's talked about trying to numb the foot altogether. So there's a bit going on in that department for Rafa. Wimbledon only three weeks away. What does his future look like? I mean, any time Rafael Nadal has played a gruelling slam, he always takes a, a few days just to assess the landscape. And uh, that's what you've got to do at 36 years of age to obviously prolong your longevity in the sport. We want him to go forever, uh, but certainly of the big three, we've probably always thought that he is the one that would finish uh, first. Well, I suppose between he and Novak being of a similar age, obviously... Uh, you know, he's becoming active, Roger Federer. We're hoping he's going to come back uh, later this year. For how long, we don't know. Is it going to be one or two tournaments to farewell the tour? We'll have to uh, have to wait and see. Uh, H, you got anything else for me? Yeah, in uh, 1958, I we had a buy in Blackwell Cup. Yeah. And I made my way to Narrenburn Hardcourt Championship, the ladies. Uh, Jan Lahane, yeah. still a junior, had won the Open. And she was in the final of the junior girls. She had to play Leslie Turner. Yes. Jan hadn't lost a singles for two years, and Leslie beat her quite easily. Then a couple of a uh, year later, they uh, Jan and Leslie joined Margaret Smith to tour the world with Nell Hopman as their chaperone. They all done very well for a couple of years. Then they got married. Margaret Court, Margaret Smith married Barry Court. Yes. Jan married some chaps that I'd never heard of. And Leslie married Bill Bowery. She yeah. became Michelle, uh, Leslie, Leslie Bowery. Bowery. Mm. And uh, they, they travelled well. Uh, Margaret in her uh, second Wimbledon, was yeah. beaten in the first round by a young brash, Billy Jean Moffat, who yes. later married Larry King, yes. and she became Billy Jean King. Absolutely and, outstanding, uh, H. Uh, you have got us off to a flyer. 
nostalgia of plenty. You take us down memory lane. Love that. How good is it to see Billie Jean King, of course, at Roland Garros? Uh, saluted on the weekend. Helped uh, present the uh, the men's uh, champion, of course, uh, Rafael Nadal, yet again. Thank you, Harry. Love taking your call and uh, always love to have you on the show. No doubt about that. We've got a bit to cover on the show uh, tonight. So, Roland Garros, how do we pick it apart? I think we always knew once Rafa beat Novak in the quarterfinals, he probably couldn't get beaten from there. We'll never know. We will never know what the outcome might have been if Alexander Zverev hadn't rolled over on that right ankle. Uh, two sets not even complete in three hours. It was probably the only way the match was actually going to end. Uh, it was extraordinary to watch. And, and Zverev did step up to beat Elkaraz in the quarters. He had to make a statement with the younger generation coming behind that generation who have been trying to challenge the big three. I love where men's tennis sits uh, right now. We've got all the different generations uh, clashing, which is magnificent. So we'll never quite know that result. But once uh, Rafa was through, poor old Casper Ruud had a great tournament, done a magnificent job to elevate himself inside the top 10. No man has won more matches on clay in the last three years than Casper uh, Ruud, seven of his eight titles. He uh, idolised Rafael Nadal. He trained at his uh, academy in uh, Mallorca, but he was a bit of a deer in the headlights. He had a moment, certainly in the second set, where he could have grabbed that. Once he was two sets to love down, it was a good night for Casper uh, Ruud. So quite extraordinary, the record. Never been beaten in a final at Roland Garros, 112-3. and three. Uh, The win-loss, we could just go on and on and on about the records that uh, will stand the test of time, no doubt about it. I, and I can't think of anything in world sport that matches what Nadal has done at a singular event, uh, being the French Open. So whether he's going to get back at 37 next year to try for number 15... I think we can only look in the window at a small distance at the moment with Rafa and uh, just take it as it comes and just appreciate uh, that he's still going. Uh, this is going to spur on Djokovic, no doubt, being too shy. We go to the grass where you look at that men's top 10. Medvedev, not a great uh, grass quarter. Uh, Zverev out injured. Nadal, we don't know what's going to happen. Pass, not a great grass quarter. Casper Ruud's still going to prove himself on the grass. Elkaraz, we feel like, is going to be a, a great player on any surface. Uh, Rublev, Felix Auger, Aliasim, and Berrettini, who didn't play at Roland Garros. So just crystal balling a little bit three weeks out. This is a huge opportunity for Novak, isn't it, to pull one back. And if Rafa doesn't play, even if he does, uh, we know how difficult Wimbledon has been to win for Rafa for quite some time. Great to see Marin Cilic uh, back. Uh, up six spots to 17 in the world. Uh, Holgerun emerging. Bit of brashness there still. And the uh, Scandinavian rivalry between he and Kasparu that uh, filtered into the locker room. Don't mind a little bit of argy-bargy out on the tour. And how about uh, Bernabe Zapata Morales, the Spaniard, up 33 spots to 97, had the best week of his life. We love stories like that. And when you look at the ATP rankings today, Roger Federer, 50 in the world. Never thought we'd ever see that, but... That's really irrelevant for Roger now. Uh, we just want to see him back in, uh, in certainly some capacity. Uh, the women's is really, really fascinating in terms of, uh, in terms of the rankings. I mean, Igor Fiontek, world number one, six titles, 44-3 and three this year, 35 straight wins, now a two-time French Open champion. She's 4,305 points clear of the pack. Now... I may have this incorrect, but I can't remember Ash being that far ahead. 
even though uh, she'd placed herself beautifully as world number one and, and had got some separation uh, from the pack. But when you look at those rankings today, Annette Contivate, world number two. Really? Paola Bedosa, Onjabur, Maria Sakari, Arena Sabalenka, Karolina Pliskova, Jessica Pagula, Danielle Collins and Garbina Muguruza. Are we counting on any of those to actually step up and win Wimbledon in the next uh, three weeks? So Eager really could have an unbelievable period of dominance. And when you look at the experienced players that are still on tour, Kerber, Azarenka, Halep, Kvitova, Svitolina, who's had some time out, whether she's going to come back and play Wimbledon, the unknown of Osaka, but we know hasn't performed well on the grass, has talked about not playing Wimbledon. Uh, I'm talking about some Grand Slam winners here, Sloane Stevens. You wonder if Sloane's ever going to get back towards the pointy end. Andrescu's just come back from injury again, so needs time to build. And Anastasia Pavlyuchenkova, well, she dropped 62 spots being a finalist back to 83. Uh, Krachikova dropped from two in the world to 14. And we don't think probably is going to be a huge threat to win the title just because of the year that she's had. So right now, Igor Sviontek, uh, who is going to beat her right now? That's the million-dollar question. one 736 Seven three six. So plenty to pull apart from Roland Garros. We always like also to mention the apart from the singles, uh, some good stories too. Uh, Jean Julien Roger, forty years of age, the Dutchman, teaming up with Marcelo Arivalo. And I can I can't even think of play, think of a player that's ever come from El Salvador. So that was some history in the making. Uh, Twelve seeds won the men's doubles. Uh, Garcia and Ladinovic. Once upon a time, great doubles combination. They certainly had a falling out of sorts, but they've come back together to win uh, the French over Coco Goff and Jessica Bagula. Uh, the mixed doubles, uh, Inna uh, Shibihara of Japan, Wesley Kuloff, uh, they won the second seeds. Of course, beat uh, Johnny Pears and Dabrowski in the semifinals. We always like to look at the boys' singles and girls' singles. So the 14th seed, Gabrielle Debru from France, uh, 16-year-old, Won the boys. Lucy Havlikova of the Czech Republic, uh, the 17-year-old, won the girls' singles. We know the Czech Republic just keeps producing uh, great young talent. Special shout-out for the young Aussie too, Talia Preston, who got through to the third round. She's jumped up about 137 spots to 675 at just 16 years of age. So we are certainly keeping an eye on her. In wheelchair action, Shingo Kunita of Japan, 27th singles major. Incredible. Um, and Didi de Groot, 6-4, won the women's 14th Grand Slam title, chasing still the record of Esther Vergeer, who was an absolute star, uh, who had 21. But uh, Diddy has won the calendar slam twice, her 41st straight to a victory on uh, Saturday. And, of course, post uh, Dylan Orcott and all the records he achieved in the quads, uh, Niels Vink is the man now who's going to probably set even bigger records than uh, Dylan. He won the quad singles over fellow Dutchman Sam Schroeder, and they teamed up to win the doubles, of course, against the Aussie Heath Davidson and Silver of Brazil. So there is a snapshot of everything to do with uh, Roland Garros. Before we go to the break, we also want to touch on a really good weekend for the Aussies, to the point where I've had no sleep whatsoever for the last 24 hours. There were Aussies everywhere. I'm going to bring in Jed Setzer, who is part of our team at thefirstserve.com.au. Jed, good evening. You've had probably less sleep than I have. Both up pretty uh, into the pretty early hours of this morning, but uh, it was well worth it. What a night it ended up being for the Australians. 
Jay, we've got a few minutes here. Let's just give a little snapshot of the Aussies who won. You can give us a little pen pick. Uh, let's start. We'll go ladies first. Talia Gibson. Now, this was the last match to be completed in California this morning. The great part that the ITF and the ATP uh, challenges are doing now, most of them are being streamed. So you're not missing too much of the action, which is great for us uh, so far away. So Talia wins her first title and uh, she made a bit of a statement. Yeah, look, a fantastic win for her. She obviously made her first final a few weeks ago, so she's building form. Uh, she's rated very highly internally. So this is uh, one of our rising teams on the girls' side, and you know, hopefully she can put together a really nice season on the ITFs, and who knows, we might see her in the Australian Summer of Tennis. All right, plus 62 spots to 658. So ranking not quite relevant, but just to give you a picture of where our players are situated. She's only 17, so there's huge upside. Jordan Thompson, first title in four years, first on grass. We want to see Tomo climb uh, back up again. He's been as high as 43. He's had a really tough 12 months, had COVID, uh, some tough losses, but uh, a good win against uh, Dennis Kudler, who actually beat Andy Murray in the semis, and uh, it was great to watch a bit of grass court action in uh, Superton. Certainly was. This is a massive, massive win for Tomo. I mean, he's had a really rough year. You mentioned he had COVID. He's had some really difficult draws as well so he hasn't really been able to get any continuity but this is a serious breakthrough for him uh he's probably played his best tennis on grass even though he hasn't won a title on grass he obviously uh made that atp final in 2019 um on grass we know his wimbledon run last year so tomo big win for him no doubt Uh, live 73 in the rankings a young man we're a massive fan of jason kubler he's looking like he's going to crack the top 100 Again, the body's sound. He's won 12 of his last 14. He won, of course, in Little Rock, Arkansas. Now, go on to our socials because uh, the crowd was fantastic. And Jason acknowledged this is what the ATP challenges should look like around the world because sometimes the players are playing in front of you know two cats and a dog, aren't they? But this is what they should be. And he is, he is hitting it beautifully at the moment. He is, well, amazing Roland Garros campaign. He's in ripping form. And, you know, you have to admire Jason Kubler because every time he gets up and he gets in form, he gets injured and then he gets struck back down. You know, he obviously was an extremely talented junior, world number one, uh, played an Australian Open main draw as a teenager and then, you know, had these terrible knee injuries, cracked the top 100, got injured at the US Open, and now he's back. So awesome to see. No doubt. Live, 111 uh, at my last check. Omar Jasika, great to see Omar just ploughing away. He's grinding. He's playing you know, the 25Ks, the 15Ks, fourth title for the year. He's 39-8 and eight win-loss, uh, Jed, and one in Greece over the weekend. Yeah, well, look, Omar, we hope to see him back. I mean, this is what he's got to do. He's got to get through these sort of ITF tournaments to get back to the Challenger Tour, and who knows, he might... You know, he might have a real run at it now. So best of luck, Tim. We hope he keeps going. Climb to 420. 239 is the highest he got to a few years ago, the lefty. And Jamie Furless, great story. Uh, her biggest ITF singles title, the 60K. It was a good crowd in at Romania. Go on our socials. Jamie's done a little video for us, whether you're following us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, she's uh, at a career high now, back inside the top 200. Yeah, well, this is my pick from the weekend because she is... She's so talented. I mean, we remember her run as a 17-year-old. She got that wild card into the Australian Open. She's had her injury troubles, but 
she's fit now and she seems to be firing. She's working with a new coach as well, Dejan Petrovic, the Serb. So, and he's coached Djokovic and Ivanovic and Jankovic. So, this is a serious uh, week for her, and we hope that she keeps it going. Well done to Jamie. Uh, Rena Rodinova, runner-up at Subaton, the 100K. Mitchell Harper, that's a tough one. 1921 match tie-break in uh, Rancho Santa Fe near Palm Springs there in California. Thomas Fancup, runner-up at the 15K in Vietnam. Uh, well done to Brandon. Welcome, Matt Romios. I know Mum, Irene... Uh, follows us on socials. Uh, they won in Bosnia, doubles title. Andrew Harris won a challenger, doubles title in Little Rock. And Gabriella De Silva Fick uh, won her third ITF doubles title. So we salute some Aussies who have done a very nice job. Thank you, Jetta. Good work. Cheers, BP. Appreciate it. Jed Zetzer just chiming in there. He was up with me uh, all night uh, covering uh, the Aussies. Thanks to AATC, Australasian Academy of Tennis Coaches, providing quality coach education across the globe. Courses delivered by industry leaders and tennis business owners. Learn locally, coach globally, internationally endorsed, inquire and enrol at aatc.tennis. Next, uh, Anthony Clarke. He's going to be in the studio. The performance mindset. We're going to tap into that next. Let the sun pay for your electricity with a 6.6 kilowatt solar system from B Solar. Visit B.Solar and GLG Greenlife Group. Leaders in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com. The first serve, your home of tennis. Welcome back to the first serve. Uh, racing through a Monday night. Roland Garros, you can dissect that anytime. 1-300-736-736 or on the Tennis Direct text 0433981116. One in. I'll acknowledge it. Uh, Brett, you do a wonderful job on the first service in 11.60 with the footy commentary. Thank you. Who would you back in a boxing fight and tennis match between Nick Kyrgios and Bernard Tomic? Okay, I've acknowledged it. I'm not even going to deem it with an answer. We're not going near Kyrgios. We're not going near Tomic. There's just so many more important things that I want to focus on in this show than these two bantering and going back and forth in the media. Fetic. All right, now I want to welcome in a very special guest because I've got his book, uh, right in front of me. Uh, performance psychologist, over 30 years experience, bringing out the best in people, Olympians, professional athletes, elite level teams. We're going to add a, a tennis angle, of course, into this uh, tonight. And he's just launched his book recently, The Performance Mindset, The Seven Steps to Success in Sport and Life. The author, Anthony Clarica. Great to see you in, Anthony. Thanks for having me. Uh, we might... There's so many things to pull apart here in a short amount of time that we've got, but uh, I did notice there is a, a chapter or a couple of pages certainly on on Rafael Nadal. I mean, you, like anyone who just follows sport, Anthony, just simply sits back and says what he has done is quite extraordinary. And he does get a mention uh, in your book, before I sort of go into telling what your book's all about, but Rafa, doing it again, what's the first thing that sort of springs to mind? For sure. The first thing is it's a total coincidence because I wrote the book late last year and I looked at his performance at the French Open with 13 slams and I noted in the book that that's probably one of the single, and you mentioned it earlier, one of the single best sporting performances by an individual in any sport, probably yep. across the globe. Yep. And um, I did a little bit of work into it and had a look at the total percentage of points. I'd love to know. Let, let's, let, let's pick it apart. Yeah. It's incredible. So yeah. with a bit of assistance from the great Darren McMurtry from Tennis Australia, yep. I, I said to him, listen... This, this record by Nadal is pretty astonishing. This is even before this year, which we can talk about. And we went back and had a look at pretty much every single point played in every single match yep. for the 13 slam wins. Mm. And it, you know, totals 91 matches. And incredibly, the percentage of points that he wins is under 60. Yep. For such a dominant performance across the world, it's about 57. Mm. 
and I think it just speaks to his total resilience. And I, I put in a quote that he actually, um, in the book, from, from Rafa's own book, actually, where, where he actually notes that the, the, the whole sport is in the mind and uh, he's got a mantra, every single moment counts. And you can really see that these things are deliberate and planned. And I referenced Tony Nadali's uncle who coached him for quite a while. Yep. And I actually was lucky enough a number of years ago at the Brisbane yeah. International to do a talk, uh, Tony and myself. And on that day, of course, everyone was there to listen to Tony and I got the chance to do that when we were co-presenting. But he went on court afterwards and spoke spoke to the budding coaching audience at the time about how he used to coach Rafa just to hit through every ball, not worry about the point that's gone, not worry about the point that's ahead. And that's what he drilled into him day after day after day as a junior. And Rafa refers to that in his book as well. Mm. And you can actually see that he still plays like that. And I think that's what's enabled him to go on and get 14. And I encourage anyone... When you go to the Australian Open next year, and I've been lucky enough to sort of go around the world and cover some tennis and, and just sit and watch Nadal train as well, yep. it's fascinating, Anthony. Yep. I don't know, you've probably done it, I imagine, where he just simulates those match conditions. And he's sweating it up as much in the um, the warm-up and practice as he is you know, going through a three or a five-set match. I mean, his habits are just... For, to do it over such a long period of time... Yep. And resilience is the key word. I mean, you need it, particularly in an individual sport when it's it's you versus the bloke on the other side. Totally. What 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 Rafa does really well, and yeah, you know, I have seen him training on court and been to a bunch of his matches. He, when he goes training, he's not training; he's just his shots. He's mm. actually training his focus. He's training his capacity to zero in. Yep. He's training his capacity to stay in the present, forget that last point. And he even talks about if he uh, not to get caught up in the in the uh, thought of winning. So he says, if, he, if the thought of winning comes into his mind, he crushes it. That's his language. And it's all about staying in the present. You see that in the training court. So when he practices, he's practicing those mental skills too. Absolutely. So uh, how would you succinctly describe this book that you've written? <laughs> Good question. Uh, look, succinctly, it's, it's, it features 17 different athletes from a wide range of sports. There's, there's some tennis players in there, which, were, which I was really honoured to speak to. Uh, Scott Draper, Nicole Pratt, Storm Sanders is in there a little. Uh, uh, Taylor Harris, Sam Mitchell from AFL, which you know people in Melbourne love. Yep. A whole range of other sports. Uh, Bridget Muir, who climbed, you know, the first Australian woman to climb Mount Everest. That's an amazing feat, and her story is incredible. So, I feature a whole range of stories, and uh, there's things in there like motivation, resilience, focus. I mentioned culture, leadership. So, their experiences um, and how they dealt with their journeys. It's a real great insight that they afforded me, which I can now share with the readers. No doubt. And some of my own experiences of working in sport across AFL, a uh, bunch of clubs over over 20 years and uh, in tennis as well and motorsport, a whole, whole range of other things. So whether you're a, a sports fan, a tennis fan tuning in to us tonight, you'll get something out of this book. We'll tap into the tennis uh, angle because you have worked sort of closely with TA over the years. Can you just take us inside uh, the roles that you've played within tennis? Yeah, well, I think tennis tennis is one of those sports that everyone understands really. The, the mental component, we're just talking about rougher, is a really big aspect. And TA has supported that mental component across the years. I've been fortunate enough to work with some really good operators, uh, coaches and other, other sports psych mindset professionals in tennis and had the privilege of travelling around with, with, quite a, with quite a number of players in the TA role. Um, so... So yeah, that's that's been something that I've been had the luxury to do. I mean, this is an area where more players seem to be really tapping into yep. Anthony. I mean, I'll probably look at Iga Swiatek as a a great example. Her rise in the last three years now to win two French Opens, dominant world number one, 
uh, tremendous girl to sit and listen to. There's a lot going on yeah. up there. She's busy uh, just in you know, off the tennis court as she is on the court, just the, the pace of life that she leads. Uh, but not only has she got, obviously, a coaching team, strength and conditioning, but she really tapped into that sports psych area. And she's not the only one to do that, but she's one that's been pretty open about how that sports psych has just helped shape her. And we heard the little grab coming on at the start yeah. of the show from her press conference about you know, trying to be the one that's not as stressed um, as the other opponent or whoever she's going up against. I mean, she's a, a great example of someone that's tapped into above the shoulders. Fantastic example, actually. And, and uh, yeah, that, that interview was fascinating. I, I agree with you. Uh, she's, she's also, what I, what another thing I took from the interview is how she's focused on really learning from experiences that she's already had. And that's something that she's used to minimise her stress so that she can translate into the competition arena what she actually does at training, which is a challenge for a lot of tennis players, to be honest. So do you think it's a, when you talk about performance mindset and you're dealing with, you've dealt with individuals over the years and you've dealt with teams, yep. does one need it more than the other? You know where I'm sort of coming from? I do, yeah. It's, uh, look, there's, there's an overlap because obviously every individual within a team uh, uses their own mindset strategies and they also have to think about how they operate within a team framework. So there's another complexity. I wouldn't say one's more or less important. They're very, very different. Uh, in, in an individual sport, if you lose, it's all on you. Yep. In a team sport, if you lose or if you don't perform well, the team could still win. You can sort of think, of, I've done okay, but you still need to tap into the team psychology as well as your individual. That brings in a lot of complexities, how you get on with people, how you collaborate with others that you might be competing for a spot for in a team. They're big factors in the psychology of a team sport. In an individual sport, as I said, though, the spotlight is all on you. It is. You, uh, there's no hiding, no hiding, particularly on a tennis court. So we've set the scene. What we'll do is get a little break in because I want to come uh, back and sort of pull apart some of the people you've spoken to in tennis. You've also researched uh, junior Grand Slam finalists. I want to tap into some of those uh, numbers. Anthony Clarica is here. Get a copy of his book, The Performance Mindset, The Seven Steps to Success in Sport and Life. Uh, all thanks to Hume Tennis and Community Centre. It's a mini Melbourne park in Melbourne's north. It's got tennis for everyone, perfect also for coaches and players. If you're coming from interstate to train and compete, it's very close to Melbourne Airport accommodation just around the corner. Find out more at humetennis.com.au. More of Anthony Clarker on the first serve to come next. Fight back against rising energy prices with a 6.6 kilowatt solar system from B Solar. Visit B.Solar and GLG Green Life Group. Leaders in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com. The first serve, your home of tennis. Wonderful to have your company on a Monday night. Brett Phillips in the chair. We're talking the world of tennis post at Roland Garros. And now the build-up to Wimbledon only uh, three weeks away. Anthony Clarica is in the studio. The performance mindset, the seven steps to success in sport and life. And just uh, tapping into from a, a tennis angle uh, tonight. So a few things Anthony, you talked about uh, certainly some of the people you've spoken to in tennis. I know that uh, Storm Sanders, uh, who's obviously had on tour, Nicole Pratt, a uh, highly uh, esteemed coach, former player. Scotty Draper, who's gone into the sort of admin area of TA, former player, of course. Just tell us some of the discussions you had with that, that trio who have all walked uh, sort of some different generations of tennis in this country. Mm, yeah, well, some of the insights they gave me that, that we describe in the book. Uh, for example, Scotty Draper talks about his, uh, his win at Queen's. And when he was leading, he's, 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 uh, he talks about how out of, out of the blue, he spoke about nerves that can either come out of the blue or they yep. can build up gradually. And uh, he was leading uh, in the last game of the third set to win. And he 
all of a sudden got quite nervous and thankfully he sat down and what he did was he thought of something on the spot and reversed the score instead of being 5-3 up he thought I'm 3-5 down he always played like an underdog and he took that approach for example um, when he also beat Muster who was the number mm. one you yep. know the, the king of clay as Muster was known years ago and he said he made that match which he when he beat Muster as, as a highly credentialed player he said he forgot about the score in that match and he took it purely as a battle of wills and he didn't worry about winning the score or the points he worried about willpower and beating Muster in that because he took pride in that and uh, he took that at back that that approach into Queens and when he reversed the score and became the underdog again yep. he actually won that <laughs> tournament yeah, nice. and uh, and Nicole Pratt talks about a range of things including her challenges on the tour and how she you don't get into flow that often she says she could out of over, over a 20 year career could count on one hand how many times she actually got in the flow it's mostly about working hard to stay switched on and that's what a lot of people don't realize uh, you've got to be constantly on top of your game and and even the challenges of being on the tour you know it is a grind living out of a suitcase and hotels and yep. her one and only win on the tour in india she went back to her room at at night and uh she actually cried yeah and she says that the reason the reason that happened was because she realized that tennis really uh, can be lonely and it's a sport where you should celebrate and that that taught her a lot of lessons that that day I think that's a great point, you know, because we just talked at the start of the show about, you know, some of our Aussies, or a 17-year-old winning her first tournament, and then we get players who don't win their first tournament until they're in their 30s, who have been grinding maybe for 10, 15 years, and what the definition of success is in an individual sport like tennis. And I always find this um, quite challenging, Anthony, to, to pull apart when we've got to analyse our Australian contingent. Mm. Are they performing... Uh, at a good level, could they be performing better? And the hardest bit when you sit here is that you're not inside their life out on tour. Are they doing everything to get the best out of themselves? And uh, that, that's something that's really hard to answer uh, from my point of view because we just look at a match, we look at pure talent. But as we know, pure talent, and there's many examples of that, only takes you there unless mm. you've got the work ethic and all the other bits to match that pure talent. You're probably not going to get the best out of yourself. Well, the whole theme about the book is that mindset underlies work ethic and that, that becomes more important than talent. So it's mindset first, in my opinion, then work rate, then, yep. then, then talent. And there's so many variables on the tennis tour. And you, you could go for years without winning a tournament. And uh, it's incredible. You have, to, you have to genuinely be resilient, be able to absorb the losses and the knocks. Uh, living out of a suitcase week after week, you lose first round. You don't know where you're going. Your schedule depends if you win. Yep. If you win three matches in a row, you stay at the hotel, you've got... You're only breaking even. Some some players uh, only start breaking even with their expenses inside the top 120. Mm. So if you're up 180 in the world, it sounds brilliant. And in all honesty, it is amazing. You know, it's very few people that can get there, but yep. it's still tough. Yeah, dollars-wise, it doesn't necessarily translate. You're right, until you get closer to that top 100. Storm, quick one on Storm. Is the, the, the current yeah, player? Storm, Storm, yeah, brilliant. Making a transition back after years of injury. Her, her perseverance, I think, is one of the things that comes through in the book. We, and you've mentioned a few injuries of players uh, that you've already discussed today on the show. Yeah, dealing with injuries is a real, real tough battle. And I think moving back into doubles and transitioning back there and finding a way on the tour in singles a little bit more is something that she'll, she'll work towards. But she talks about routines and the importance of well-being. You do need to look after yourself on the tour because if you can't sustain your well-being, yep. it will get you. No doubt. Now, one thing we were talking about before we came on air was some of the research that you've done into junior Grand Slam finalists. It's over, what, about a decade period and how that's translated into a career best ranking. I know you, you've got some numbers that would be sort of interesting for the people to hear. Fascinating. Look, it's 
I looked into this data, obviously knowing a little bit about the tour and, and seeing some players and how challenging it can be. And we, we need to be more understanding of that. It's not just tennis, but transition in any sport from junior to open level is one of the big demands and challenges. Uh, we talk about all the reasons why transition is so difficult. So I thought, uh, let's go back and have a look at um, every junior Grand Slam finalist, not just a winner, but the, the, mm -hmm. the winner and the runner-up over yep. a 10-year period from 2001 to 2010. And I looked at all the four slams, boys and girls. And fascinatingly, the average best career ranking on the Open Tour from junior slam finalists in the boys was not even in the top 100. Right. It was 125. Okay. It just goes to show, I think, how challenging it can be to move from a, a junior – and let's remember in tennis, juniors are up to 20 yep. years of age. And I understand not all players play juniors, but there's some very, very good players ranked – um, you know, who, who ranked number one eventually that won junior slam. So they sway the data, you know, towards the lower end. So that just gives you an indication of how many players struggled to really make big roads on the open tour as they transitioned from that junior, junior um, sphere. Here's a couple of names, just out of uh, curiosity. A couple of names. Uh, who, do you, who do you want? Well, um, Montfields was six, so yep. he obviously went on. Chilich was three. Yep. Um, they both won the French Open in 04 and 05 respectively. Um, but then you, then you get a guy, Daniel Berta won the French open in 09 career, best ranking 637. Yeah. You know, it's tough. It, uh, it, we, we all remember the names that go well, but you don't, you don't remember or ever hear the names that, that struggle along the way. Yeah. The sort of the reverse of that, because I look at the junior rankings a lot and it's easy for people to throw out there. Well, Australia has got that many, you know, good juniors coming through at the moment or highly ranked. Now it doesn't, I mean, you don't need to be the best junior necessarily to have a, a great uh, pro career, do you? I mean, the no. stats the other way will say that it's sort of irrelevant. You're developing, you're trying to build a game that can play on the pro tour and have some longevity. Uh, but if you don't get maybe even inside the top 50, top uh, 100, it's not, it's not the end of the world. No, it's not the end of the world, uh, but you certainly need to focus on building that mindset. And uh, that's and you need to make sure that you've got the commitment to work through that transition phase. Because as we spoke about earlier, you can go through a lot of time uh, of losing consecutive matches and you're travelling and you ask yourself whether it's worth it or not. And as I said before, this is not just tennis. Mm. You know, you could look at the Australian cricket team, the um, men's or women's men's or women's soccer team. It's, it happens in AFL, yeah. AFLW. It's, it's all sports. That transition is a really challenging time. And uh, I really like to advocate for clubs, coaches, and the junior athletes themselves to focus on their mindset development to assist them through that transition phase. It's a big deal. No doubt. Uh, thank you for coming in. There's so much more we could probably speak about, but uh, that's a little teaser uh, for the book. Now, where, can we, where can we go and grab a copy of uh, The Performance Mindset? Well, good bookshops and online. Thanks very much. Beautifully done. So what we've we've actually got a couple you're going to leave with us. Yes. Uh, which we'll give away if you want to give us a call between now and uh, 9 o'clock, 1300 736 736. But we'll also have a couple for our um, all our crew on social media who follow us uh, uh, all over the world who would probably love a copy of this book. So The Performance Mindset, Learn the Lessons of Elite Athletes to Reach your full potential. Now that I've got some downtime, I'm going to go and have a good read. Really appreciate you coming in. Enjoy. Thanks for having me. Anthony Clarica, uh, a great book in front of me, The Performance Mindset. Uh, all thanks to Melbourne's leading synthetic grass court surface and construction specialist, Asti Tennis Courts, trusted by Melbourne tennis clubs and councils. Check out aste.com.au. We'll uh, come back and wrap up with a few bits and pieces.
Install a 6.6 kilowatt solar system plus battery from just $25 a week at B Solar. Visit B.Solar and GLG Greenlife Group, leaders in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com. The First Serve, your home of tennis. Welcome back to The First Serve. Uh, a bit to get through in the next uh, five minutes. Uh, Yarra Tennis Coaching, Eaglemont Tennis Club. Go and see Shane Scrutton and the crew. He'll look after you. 30 years coaching experience. His mission is to improve your game, whether you're a complete beginner or a serious player. Check out yarratennis.com.au. Uh, Ruben in Ascot Vale has given us a call. No, Ruben is gone. He was there and now he's uh, disappeared. BP, Matthew Delavadova. Where's he at? The tennis player. Yes, not the basketballer. Watched him play Omar Jacico in Greece last week. I think it was a quarter. Was it a quarter final? I think it was. Um, went down. He's 848 in the world. He's 22. It's a long climb. He's doing some hard yards. So he's just got to keep grinding away. It's as simple as that. There's no uh, shortcut. Speaking of grinding, uh, Richard Glover is head of the ATP Challenger Tour. Our podcast, The Grind, with Alex Johnston, will have another edition coming up this week. And on the back of Jason Kubler's comments about the challenges getting a bit more notoriety, uh, Richard Glover with some interesting thoughts. If you could just explain the way you're sort of trying to ease the burden on players and increase revenue, which then would turn into prize money, I guess. Yeah, I, I almost think we need to almost take a step back and, and, and really just maybe just explain what we've actually been doing over the last four or five months. And really what we've done is a really deep dive into the Challenger Tour. So we've created different work streams, diff- looking at different aspects of the Challenger Tour. We've been consulting and speaking with tournaments and tournament promoters. We've also created a player group, so representatives of Challenger Tour players, and that we've engaged we engage with the monthly basis and really looking at at all aspects of the challenger tour and i think for me the starting point that the question that that we've really wanted to answer is is what is the purpose of the challenger tour and obviously people say well it's it's, it's the pathway for men's professional tennis but but what does that actually mean and i think we sort of distilled that that pathway purpose into three key aspects one is um we're looking moving forward and, and moving forward we're talking about from the sort of the start of the 2023 season onwards is we're looking to create financial sustainability for a specific target ranking range of players so what that target ranking range is is it still being worked on at the moment so that's the first aspect the second aspect is we want to increase playing opportunities at challenger to a level for a larger target ranking range of players and then the third aspect is is really about creating greater mobility for younger players. And so now that we've sort of established the purpose and, and the sort of the three foundations of that purpose is we're really working on a new strategy that looks to start start to deliver on that purpose: financial sustainability, increased playing opportunities, and, and greater mobility. And I I don't necessarily think it's going to be one thing or two things that that starts to solve the financial sustainability issue. I think it's going to be a combination of things. So we are looking at prize money at events and changing prize money at events. We are looking at the distribution of of prize money at different categories. We're looking at increasing the number of higher levels, so 100 and 125 category challenger events. Um, We're also looking at at some more player support mechanisms as well in terms of what what other ways can we actually financially support players. So that's Richard Glover, head of the ATP Challenger Tour. That full podcast, The Grind, with Alex Johnston coming up. Uh, this week, uh, Jed Zetzer has also caught up with uh, Nathan Healy, who's just finished coaching uh, Max Purcell. Uh, Lachlan Buell is going to join me in the studio next week. He's in Melbourne, play USA, catching up with young Jasmine Starr, who's going down the college pathway. She's graduated over in the US. Uh, part two of Brad Stein. This is a great chat uh, with Rowan Williams. So go back through 
our First Serve library. You can catch that at thefirstserve.com.au. Subscribe to the First Serve through your preferred podcast platform to catch all our podcasts. Plenty of listening uh, right throughout the week. Uh, the mailbag, haven't got much time for the mailbag tonight. Brett, love your show. Told you Rafa would win the French, number 22 on the way. This was after he beat Novak. Nostradamus here. Rodney, thank you very much. Um, bring on uh, Wimbledon. As for Novak, like in 2017, change coach. He's gone. Uh, won't win another tournament, according to Rodney. Novak done. Jeez, he'll be champing at the bit to get to the grass uh, right now. There's a bit on UTR. I might have just have to hold that over. Uh, to next week. Obviously, we've done a lot in the UTR space over the last few months. Some great correspondence coming in, very passionate uh, people out there. I'm also liaising with TA about some of this uh, correspondence. So how about I pick that up uh, next week when we've got uh, a little bit more time. Uh, All thanks to our good friends at Yonex, 76 years performance product crafted in Japan. Check out their latest range at yonex.com. We're on at uh, 6.30 after the footy. Catch us then next Monday night. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi finals, all thanks to McDonald's. Mackers, together and loving it. TNCs apply.